What's up, everybody? It's Jaren from the Hockey Podcast Network's newest show, the Windy City Benders Podcast. My co-host Tanner and I bring our unique takes on Blackhawks hockey. Us on this show have been a, a pro Carlton guy. for He's the right coach for the situation. Giving it to our rivals. That's one of the things that kind of sucks. I wish we would have had the Blues in our division this year because our trash. As well as bringing in some guests from the NHL. Please welcome to the show, goaltender Scott Darling. The Eagle himself, Ed Belfort. Brian Bickle. David Boland. Letter Kenny. The, the show started out with uh, basically a, a beer league hockey team. And anybody who loves the game. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps, the Hockey Podcast Network website, and on social media at WCB Podcasts. McGregor vs. Poirier 3 is all set for UFC 264. And DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a knockout offer for this weekend's fight. DraftKings is offering 264 to 1 odds on a knockout in the first round during Saturday's main event. If the rubber match ends in a first-round knockout, you walk away with the cash. Just pick the main fighter event you think will win by first-round knockout, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you... 264 to 1 odds on that fighter. That's right. Bet $1 on McGregor or Poirier to win by first round knockout. You win $264. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds on promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $264 when you bet on a main event fighter to win by first-round knockout. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $264. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome to New York. This is, is the Devil's State, State of Mind podcast, podcast, brought to you by the Hockey, Hockey podcast, podcast Network. Now here's now your host, host, Neil Villapiano. Devils fans, it is once again your boy Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast, right here exclusively on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place as always to get the most up to date news, topics, and so much more about your New Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you guys, as always, for taking some time out of your day to check these episodes out. I do greatly 
Greatly appreciated, folks. We have some more news involving the New Jersey Devils organization uh, side of the team that we must discuss. Uh, there's a couple other things that we're talking about, some, some rumors that we're hearing. And we're also going to finally get back into talking about potential trade targets. And today, we're going to be discussing trade targets with the Chicago Blackhawks and the Colorado Avalanche. So we have a bunch to get to. So let's not waste any more time and drop the puck. So we're going to start with some more frustrating news. Basically, we have another person leaving the New Jersey Devils organization. If you guys saw the last episode where we talked about Scott O'Neill, the now former CEO of the New Jersey Devils, stepping down as the CEO, um, we got some more news a couple of days ago, actually back on Thursday. On Thursday afternoon, uh, Craig Custance of The Athletic tweeted and reported that Amy Kimball, who was the Devils director of player and team development, is now a free agent, a.k.a. she is no longer with the New Jersey Devils organization. She was hired back in 2016 by former Devils general manager Ray Shiro and held that role for the past five years. Now, Kimball actually quote tweeted um, the original tweet that Custance put out a couple minutes after he put it out. And this is what she had to say. She said, thanks, Craig. I made the hard decision to leave a great organization, but I have goals that superseded available opportunities, so I'm testing free agency. I have 15 years of NHL experience, two Stanley Cups, a PhD, and a strong desire to help a team go from potential to dominance. So this was another very frustrating and also somewhat confusing uh, thing that we got because now that we've had more than one person leave the Devils organization within the past week, I think now it's easy to start asking questions like, well, where exactly is this Devils organization going now? Because we no longer have a CEO and we no longer have a director of player and team development. Um, with the CEO, in my opinion, being a little bit more important, but Obviously, having somebody who's in charge of player and team development is also incredibly important to building a competitive championship team, in my opinion. So when so talking about when we, when we talked about Scott O'Neill leaving, as you guys probably heard in the previous episode, I was very pissed off because of a lot of different things. Number one, obviously, that he was leaving. Number two, that they that the Devils organization and, you know, obviously, um, the ownership of this team saying things like, oh, thank you for eight great years, which I mean, from a hockey perspective was total bullshit. Um, and it still is. I'm not changing my opinion on that, even after a couple of days of thinking about it. And then you see somebody that is very well respected within the hockey world. And a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of teams are going to be very interested in bringing her aboard. Um, it's tough to lose valuable pieces. Now, there are when Kimball, when we first got the news, basically, that Kimball was leaving, I think it was split down the middle as to how people felt about her leaving. There were a lot of people that certainly expressed their opinion of saying like, oh, you know, let's get somebody else in here. I'm glad that she's leaving because honestly, who exactly really developed? And I mean, look, there are a couple guys, obviously the likes of Nico Heeshear, uh, Jack Hughes to an extent, Ty Smith, Mackenzie Blackwood. But I think the way people described it, and I would agree with it, in many ways is that you look at some other teams in the NHL and how they've been able to develop a lot of their players and for them to become really, really good players, you know, look at Tampa Bay, for example. And then you look at us and you say, we're, we're still not where we should be. 
And that's a very true statement. Um, and there are a lot more players within the Devils organization that had high hopes that have been relatively disappointing since they got to the NHL. A couple of guys you could think of are Pavel Zaka, if you don't include this year, Miles Woods, same thing, if you don't include this year, and even a guy like Jesper Boquist. I mean, he had a lot of hype uh, two years ago uh, coming into the NHL. We were very excited to see him play. And to be honest with you, he just hasn't really been able to fit in the way that I think a lot of us have been hoping for um, for her to uh, for him to do. So it's been kind of a disappointing. And we have a lot of other guys that it seems like that they're much better off being AHL players, minor league players, than they are, you know, being consistent NHL players. So with that being said, it's, it's still a frustrating thing because you don't want to lose important people to your organization. And it also, again, just kind of shows a sign that like, are things really starting to like take a, drastic change uh, within the organization. And you start also asking questions like this. Did Joshua Harris and David Blitzer, were they the reasons that these two individuals decided to leave um, for negative reasons? Um, did Joshua Harris, David Blitzer force these people to leave? Did they fire them basically? Um, did they fire them uh, because they want to make changes? Who knows? And I've already seen a lot of Devils fans start to really hit the panic button about things like, well, this is probably the beginning of the end of the Devils organization, a.k.a., you know, they may sell the team uh, and maybe we'll end up actually getting moved like some people have said in the past, uh, things like that. I really don't try to overreact like that. I try to be as realistic as I possibly can be. But it is a pretty damning situation when you see more and more people leaving the organization. Um, and it start make it starts to make you ask questions. So again, the Devils are still without a new CEO, and we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. What the Devils decide to do about that, and with regards to getting a new director of player and team development, I think that there already is somebody within the organization that I think will probably end up being more or less in charge of that. And I think it's going to be Megan Duggan, who we just hired about a month ago to the hockey operations department. Um, she was going to be working more closely with the assistant general manager of this team. Um, I do think that there's a possibility that she will have her role extended more and maybe be more involved in that. But from what I've heard from a lot of Devils fans on social media and things like that, it seems like a lot of us would rather prefer to have just a really hockey. And this is kind of a hard thing to say because it's going to sound somewhat sexist. And I think that there's, there's a little bit of sexism that comes with this um, is that a lot of people have been asking for a hockey male to be in charge of player and team development. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I completely 100% agree with that. Because again, I'm more of a person of saying, it, it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man or what color of your skin. If you know what you're doing, then you do it. I will be critical of Kimball, not because she's a woman, but because there aren't that many players within the organization that really have developed the way that we were hoping. So with regards to player development, you can make the case that Kimball just didn't do her job well. Now, there's there's other reasons why probably it didn't work out the way it is. Scouting, drafting, coaching, obviously, and ownership, the way that they want things done, it's, it's a whole thing. So you can't fully blame Kimball for it, but you can also give her criticism for the fact that at times maybe she just didn't do the job that she was brought in here to do. But it has nothing to do with her being a female, her being a woman. It has to do with that she just didn't do the, do a good enough job. So I don't really care, honestly, 
what type of person we're bringing in. I just want to bring in somebody that really, really can move this team, help this team move forward and try to, you know, take them to the next level that we need to take to. Now, whether that's a woman or a male, it doesn't matter to me. What matters is that, are they good enough to do the job? Doesn't matter. You know, I've, I look at, I look at Becky Hammond in the NBA, right? Becky Hammond has been a coach in the NBA for quite some time now. And she's been the head coach of the summer league team for the San Antonio Spurs several times and has done a very, very good job. And she has been a candidate for several NBA head coaching jobs and has not even gotten the opportunity to. And I do believe that at this point in her career, she absolutely deserves the opportunity to. But we all know exactly why she's not getting the job. And I don't want to hear this whole thing about like, well, maybe she's not fully qualified, this, that, and the other thing. No, it's simply because the NBA is being heavily, heavily sexist. And they're worried about different things about her because she's a woman, that NBA players might not listen to her. No, honestly, you have to look at the person themselves and the content of their character and judge them upon that, not by who they are as an individual, not by whether they're a woman or a man or if they're Black or if they're Asian, Hispanic. It doesn't matter. You have to look at the content of their character and say, can they do the job? Are they, can they do the job? That's all I care about. I don't care. And this is why you got to give credit to someone like Bruce Arians, the head coach of the NFL's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bruce Arians has the most diverse coaching staff in the NFL. He has black, he has black coaches. He has female coaches. He has coaches from all over who have so many different you know, ethnicities and so many different things, and they all work together so well. But he didn't hire them because they're Black or because they're a female. He hired them because he knew that they were good enough to do the job that they were brought in to do. And they certainly did. And as a result, they've won a Super Bowl and may very well be competitors to win a Super Bowl next year. Well, maybe not maybe, but they may possibly win another Super Bowl next year. So this brings me back to talking about Kimball. I will be critical of Kimball because I don't think she personally did a good enough job of developing these players. Now, I think that there are a couple players on this team, the guys that I mentioned, that will be able to take what Kimball has taught them and try to build the culture that they need to build. That's the thing. Because at the end of the day, what Tom Fitzgerald has talked about numerous times is building a culture, a culture of winning. And look, Again, we have such a young team with so few veterans. We need to have more of a veteran presence moving forward. I've talked about it before, and I'll mention it again. We need impact veteran players to come to this organization via trade, via free agency, whatever the case may be. We need to set a culture. And that is why I've mentioned so many different names in free agency and even trades that are mostly veterans, because again, we need that. We need to have guys who have experience, who knows who know what it takes to win in this league. Because you can't just continue to rely on just a veteran coaching staff to get them by. At the end of the day, the players got to go out there and perform. And you need player leadership. With every single championship team in sports, you always can look to a couple of guys who are veterans that know what it takes to win and come to an organization and help them take that next step. That is a big thing. Look at the Pittsburgh Penguins of 2009. They just came off the year before losing in the Stanley Cup Finals. They were really struggling at the beginning of the year, and they ended up firing their head coach, Michelle. Um, I think it was um, Turgeon, I think it was, or Taren. Um, I apologize if I said the name incorrectly. He used to coach the Montreal Canadiens. 
They fired him and they brought in Dan Balsma and they eventually ended up trading from the Islanders. They traded for Billy Guerin. Why did they do that? Billy Guerin, they needed a veteran presence who knew who knew what it took to win a Stanley Cup. He won a cup with the New Jersey Devils in 95. He's been a veteran guy for a long time. He was the captain at the time of the New York Islanders. And he brought some experience in for a young, talented Penguins team with a still relatively young Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jordan Stahl, Chris Letang, Marc-Andre Fleury. It was a very young team. And what ended up happening? They're able to go all the way with veteran leadership and everything working together. And they won the cup in 2009. So again, it all comes back to there has to be there has to be more players that can develop the way that we're hoping for. I don't know what Alexander Holtz is going to be in the National Hockey League. We can hope because of what he has been able to do both overseas and even a little bit of time in the American Hockey League. But he still has to come here and perform in the NHL. And it's a completely different ballgame. Remember, you're playing in the biggest, toughest hockey league in the world. There is no question about it. And you have to perform. So I wish Kimball all the best. And I'm I'm very confident that within the next couple of weeks, she will be hired by someone else in the NHL. I have no question about that. Um, I don't know if she was fired or she just decided to leave. It sounds like more that she decided to leave, but it also could have been a mutual agreement to step to, to leave the devil's organization. Um, I don't know what exactly her, her goals are. Um, and I'm not going to try to figure out what her goals are. Um, all I can hope for moving forward, talking about it and just focusing on the devils is simply this. I really hope the devils find a CEO that really is more of a hockey person I can really, really help us get there moving, you know, get to where we need to be. And with regards to getting someone as the director of player team development, whether that's within the organization now or finding someone outside, you need to find hockey people. Because if you're really trying to win, if we're really going to bank off of Josh Wares and David Blitzer are now focused on this team winning and trying to become a good team, that you need to hire people who know what they're doing with regards to the hockey part of it. You need to hire people like that because if you're hiring business people, this is the result you're going to get. And this is what we got the last eight years with, with, with Scott O'Neill. And we need to do better. We need to do better at all phases. That's within the organization, team performance, coaching wise, we need to do better. So again, it's another very frustrating situation to see another person leading the organization. It does make me nervous to wonder where exactly this team is going moving forward. And we've talked about it before, but, you know, again, we're all fans. There isn't much we could do. All we could do is hope that the Devils organization is going in the right direction and we can move forward there. I'm not going to sit here and try to be all positive like some people might be. I'm just going to say all we can do is hope. And we've been hoping for eight years now that this team uh, becomes good. And we haven't gotten much result. So until things really start to change in the direction we need them to change, I don't have a whole lot of confidence with this organization, but we'll see. But again, I will mention the Devils have uh, the Devils. Amy Kimball, who now no longer works for the Devils, she was the director of player and team development, has stepped down from that role and is now a free agent and is going to be looking to join another team. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a couple of quick rumors because you know, again, it being the off season, it's you know that's basically what we're at right now. And now we're into July. We're now into July and. We talked about it. This is going to be the most important month of the offseason for the Devils and for a lot of NHL teams. And most likely, this 
we are very close to the end of the 2021 NHL season with, you know, the lightning are up three games to none on Montreal. And unless Montreal pulls another miracle comeback um, out of a hat, it looks like that the lightning relatively soon, maybe even today, um, because I'm recording this on July 4th. Happy 4th of July, by the way. I completely forgot to say that. Happy 4th of July to all my American friends out there. Hope you guys um, enjoyed it and are having a safe um, holiday. Um, Just wanted to say that. But, you know, there's a good chance that the Montreal Canadiens could lose. And and I could be right. I mean, by the time you guys listen to this, the Lightning might have already won the Cup. Who knows? But we'll see. We'll see. But, again, once that last Stanley Cup final game is over, Everybody now is into 2021-22 form. And with a flat cap and everything like that, you know, I don't need to go down this road again. We know what the Devils have to do. And it's about, will they actually do it? Will Tom Fitzgerald be allowed to do it? Who knows? But the first rumor actually came out from the fourth period. Uh, They have connected the Devils to a possible trade for uh, Arizona Coyotes defenseman Oliver ekman Larson. And we've talked about ekman Larson before when it comes to – you know, trades. When we first started doing this trade thing, he was one of the guys that I mentioned. He finished his past year with 24 points in 46 games, which is a 42-point pace over 82 games. That's okay. Um, And the thing about it is simply this. Oliver ekman Larson, from an analytical perspective, and I don't talk about analytics very much, but I'll talk about it with him. He is not very good. At this point in his career, he's a guy that has an albatross of a contract. And the Devils, the only way I can see them making this move is if they get a really good sweetener. Now, could that be like a Connor Garland type of situation? It very well could. I don't think that's going to end up being the case, especially when you know you have cheaper and even to an extent younger options to go after. I mean, we talked about the Devils a couple of weeks ago being connected to a possible trade for Rasmus Ristolainen, which I still think the Devils should certainly go after. And then even to a greater extent, you have one of the most up-and-coming uh, top defensemen in the free agency class, Dougie Hamilton, that you could very well try to convince to come to New Jersey. So I could see Edmund Larson as like a plan C or plan D option, but again, I can't see the Devils just getting ekman Larson, and that's it. Because then, in my opinion, I feel like that the Coyotes would just fleece us that. We have to get something else as well. So, I mean, at the end of the day, when you talk about ekman Larson, if you look at it, if, if the Devils were rumored to get him two or three years ago, I would have been all for it. But with regards to now, I'm not as ecstatic about it, and we'd have to get more for him just to take on that ridiculous contract. And I'm, and I, again, I just can't see it. There are other options out there that the Devils could do free agency trade wise that would be better than Ekman Larson. And we know that uh, Corey and Richie would love nothing more than to move him. Um, particularly Richie, we've talked. He and I have talked on social before about him. Uh, yeah, no, you'd have to give us a pretty good sweetener for us to take that contract, but we'll see. But again, the Devils are connected to him. We'll see if there's any substance to that, but I wouldn't be so wild about it, to be honest. Now, the other rumor that has come out over the past week, and a lot of you guys have already talked about it, but I'm going to talk about it here today. This was speculation from Elliot Friedman more than anything else, to be honest with you, but in his latest edition of 31 Thoughts, um, which is always good because Ellie Freeman is one of the most reliable, um, you know, reporters out there. And he does a very good job. He said he could see the Devils trading the fourth overall pick for a good young defenseman. 
Let me say this right now. It is very unlikely that the Devils will find a defenseman that they want that's worth the fourth overall pick and that they even trade the fourth overall pick at all. I think that this is, again, like I just said, I think it's total speculation. It's one of those things where maybe the Devils want to put that out there to see if they can try to force some. I don't want to, I don't want to say forced. I would say more to maybe try to get some teams to make some offers because, again, we talked about it before, and it's like beating a dead horse. But the Devils have the second most cap space in the NHL. If you want to say third, you know, behind Detroit and Seattle, uh, sure, I guess. But with regards to, you know, legit cap space, the Devils have the second most. Um, and they do have a lot of things that they can offer some teams. I do, once again, uh, will reiterate that basically the Devils have to take advantage of teams that are in cap trouble because there's going to be teams within the next couple of years and even this year that are going to be in some cap trouble. And this is the opportunity for the Devils to strike to make some deals to make this team a lot better very quickly. I know that it's possible and we do have the opportunity to do so and we should take advantage of it when we have this opportunity. And again, Former CEO Scott O'Neill gave Tom Fitzgerald the green light to do what he needed to do, a.k.a. spend money. I don't know if that's still the case. Maybe that's why the, he left the Devils organization. Maybe that's why the Devils wanted him out because he said that, the ownership. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't All oh, this is speculation. But going back to this, I could see the Devils trading the Islanders pick because it's like 28th, 29th, 30th, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I could see them trading that. But with regards to the fourth overall pick, unless we're getting like a Quinn Hughes or a Kale McCarr or somebody like that, I mean, I just don't see how we would trade the fourth overall pick, especially if you might as well just get another young defenseman, you know, whether that's Brant Clark, whether that's, um, you know, Hughes, Luke Hughes, it doesn't matter. What the, the point is, is that unless we're getting a, a massive blockbuster deal where we know for a fact we're getting a really good deal and we're it's going to make an impact right away, I just don't see why we would do that. Again, we have to remember this. Tom Fitzgerald, at his end-of-the-season press conference with the media, he talked about how next year he wants this team to start having memorable, you know, meaningful games in March, April time which is basically like fighting for a playoff spot. So, I mean, is, is he basically saying that he wants this team to make the playoffs next year? Maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe that's not what he's saying. But he certainly knows that he has to make this team better. He can't just go into next year with all these young guys again and be like, all right, next, you know, year two, let's see where we can go from here. No, you have to have, you have to take advantage of the opportunity when you have it to spend money and to acquire more and more talent. So, look, again, I think it is almost 0% that the Devils will trade the fourth overall pick, unless that they're really struggling to figure out who they want. Because, again, this is a tough year when it comes to players, because we really honestly and truly don't know who's getting picked where. We can make mock drafts and speculate. There's a good chance that maybe Owen Power isn't the first player taken off the board. And certainly because he just said that he's probably going to go back to Michigan next year, that might make the Sabres not so thrilled on taking him number one overall. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. Uh, so I would say this. Devils fans, don't expect the Devils to trade the fourth overall pick unless we're getting something fantastic. 
most likely we're going to draft somebody. It's probably going to be you know, one of Brant Clark, Luke Hughes, or Simon Edvinson, whose stock has been rising over the last couple of weeks, which I think is kind of interesting. He's somebody that I'm certainly interested in uh, with regard to defensive prospects. But I really just don't see how we are going to be moving the fourth overall pick. And if we get somebody that's not worth the fourth overall pick, then we are just wasting our time. You have to look, whatever trade someone offers for the fourth overall pick, you have to look at that and say, does the value even out or does, is it, are we getting more value for the fourth overall pick than we should? I mean, that's, those are questions you have to ask yourself regardless. So again, this is just speculation. I think Freeman just put it out there because he might have heard it from somebody and the Devils might actually want that to go out because maybe they're trying to see if they can really see if they can get some sort of big deal. But again, I've talked about this before and, and I'll just mention it really quickly. I think most likely when it comes to acquiring really good talent uh, this offseason, it's going to be from trades because look, free agency wise, unless we're giving somebody a lot of money, it's going to be hard to convince players to come to New Jersey because of, you know, where the organization is right now and where the team is right now, it might not be so appealing to a lot of people. So I think with regards to getting some talent, we're going to have to make some trades, which I don't think Devils fans would necessarily be against it if it meant we were getting players that will help us take to that next level. So we'll see what happens to that. But those are basically the rumors of the week, uh, rumors of the episode uh, that we get. And as always, I will share them on social media, on Twitter at Devil State and on Instagram at Devil State of Mind. And also just talk about them here on the podcast. And now we head to the third and final part of this edition of Devil State of Mind Podcast. We are finally getting back after a couple of episode hiatus. We're finally getting back to our potential trade targets. Um, and we'll continue this, obviously. And sometimes I might not be able to get to it because of other things like last episode. Um, so today... We're going to be focusing on the next two teams on our list. That is the Chicago Blackhawks and the Colorado Avalanche. Again, I will repeat this in case you forgot. I'm going through every single team in alphabetical order, except the Seattle Kraken, unless by the time we get to them, we know what players are on that team. And then we look to see if we actually would make a trade with one of them. And we might, we might do so. I have no idea. So we'll see. But we're going to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks and Colorado Avalanche. And even though I've said before that I try to pick out three players from, from each team and as potential some teams particularly with these it's very tough because number one they don't have a whole lot of players to look at number two they have a lot of cap space so most likely they're going to be able to bring back some of the guys or extend the guys that we may actually try to go after and they may just have a lot of guys that they have to keep anyway so and also again some of the guys that i mentioned from any of these teams might be put um unprotected in the expansion draft so that's something else to keep in mind but let's start with the chicago blackhawks and first of all, I just want to say this because I haven't talked about it and I don't talk about these things that often unless it involves the Devils, but I'll just say it here. The entire scandal with the Chicago Blackhawks is absolutely 100% disgusting. And the fact that so many people knew about it, know about it, or pretend like they don't know about it is absolutely ridiculous. And I really hope that we get down to the bottom of it and we get all of this stuff solved because it is just disgusting that this stuff just is allowed to happen and nobody does a damn thing at all to prevent it from happening or stopping it. And that's, you know, shame on the Blackhawks organization for doing, for allowing it to happen. And I, that's all I got to say about it. I mean, it's just, it's not good. I'm not, I'm not pleased with what I'm seeing. And if that happened with the devils, oh boy, we'd have several episodes in a row with me flipping out about it. 
because this is just absolutely ridiculous. But let's shift to talking about the Blackhawks. And the first thing is that they have just over $6 million in cap, which is, I think, the third or fourth least amount of cap space in the NHL. Um, things could change depending on certain moves that they make. Um, so I think it's clearly obvious that the Hawks may have to move a player or two to kind of get some cap space to kind of move forward. They're kind of a, a, a betweener team where you're not sure, are they still trying to make a run and maybe one last cup with the guys like Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and guys like that? Or are they moving more towards that main rebuild where they're just going with this new core of young players and kind of going from there? Um, we don't know. But there is one guy that is actually available, even though he's rumored to basically go to any team in Canada and even possibly Seattle. I think the Devils should take a swing at it just to see. And it's not necessarily that bad of an idea when it comes to a veteran perspective. Could certainly help us because he has a lot of championship experience. And that is left shooting defenseman Duncan Keats. Six foot one, 192 pounds. He's currently 37 years of age. In 2021, he played in 54 games, scoring four goals, telling 11 assists for 15 points. Obviously not the best year of his career. He has played in 1,192 games, scoring 105 goals and telling 520 assists for 625 points in his NHL career. And in the postseason, and mind you, he's been on the Blackhawks for a very long time and has been in the Stanley Cup Finals and won several Stanley Cups. He has played in 135 games, scoring 18 goals, 68 assists for 86 points in his career in the postseason. He is a two-time Norris Trophy winning defenseman, a three-time Stanley Cup champion, and a Smythe Trophy winner, which he won back in 2015. His current contract was a 13-year, $72 million deal he signed back in 2010-2011 with the Blackhawks. He has a $7.5 million signing bonus. All of that money is guaranteed. He's earning an annual average salary of $5.538,462. It's a very, very specific number, but basically it's $5.5 million. And going into the 2021-22 season, he will earn a base salary of $2.1 million, while carrying a cap hit of just over $5.5 million. He will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the 2022-23 season. Duncan Keith has been one of the most consistent, most talented defensemen over the last 10 years. And you look at guys like Drew Doughty, um, even to a lesser extent, Ryan McDonough. And then you have Duncan Keith. And Duncan Keith, in my opinion, is the best of those three. Um, and this man has done phenomenal. He's won a couple of gold medals as well. This is a guy that has phenomenal NHL experience. This guy knows exactly what it takes to win and be successful and to win championships. And I heard from when we first heard about Duncan Keith might be moved from Chicago. It sounds like to me it's more Duncan Keith wants out than really the Blackhawks want to move him. I mean, $5.5 million is not too bad for a guy that's 37 years of age. And also, again, look, you know, we're paying P.K. Subban for at least one more year at $9 million. Um, so, I mean, you know, what what's not getting another veteran defenseman for – with somebody who's making over $5 million, right? I mean, it's funny like that. But I will say this right off the bat. It's most likely 0% that the Devils are probably even thinking about making this move, especially if Duncan Keith is the one that's orchestrating this. Because he does have a no-movement clause in his, in his uh, a no-trade clause in his contract. So he has all the power to tell the Blackhawks where he wants to go. And I believe the Blackhawks said that they're giving him 
basically full control to negotiate with a team and make a decision and say, I want to be traded to them. And then they'll work out a deal from there. I doubt that Drew, that Duncan Keith would want to come to New Jersey at this point in his career. I think at this point in his career, he'd rather go to a team that maybe has one, has a chance to go to the Stanley cup and maybe he'll go somewhere like that. I don't know why he would go to Seattle unless Seattle does a Vegas golden night and they go to the cup final in year one, which I think that's the last thing that most NHL fans want to see him, but you know, it is what it is. But if the devils were to make this move, I wouldn't necessarily be that against it. The question is, you know, is the game, is he, he's clearly past his prime. I don't know how much contribution of, you know, on the ice could he make, but I think he could certainly help us from a veteran perspective. And he's only on contract for this year and then the following year. So it's not that bad. And again, the devils could obviously move him if a team wants to try to, wants to try to basically, you know, find one more veteran defenseman on a championship team could certainly do that. Um, But with regards to it, I can't see the devils. If they make a trade with the Blackhawks for Duncan Keith, I can't really see them just getting Duncan Keith very similarly to Alvin Ekman Larson. I feel like they'd have to get something else as well. So my mock trade is the devils received Duncan Keith and a third round pick in 2022 in exchange for a 2022 third round pick and Two 2022 fourths, which basically we have three four we have three fourth round picks. Two of them are from the um, Edmonton Oilers and New York Islanders, respectively. So you give them those two picks, not our fourth round pick, but those two fourth round picks, and go from there. I don't honestly think that's necessarily that bad of a deal, considering where Duncan Keith is is in his career, and considering that I'm sure the Hawks would be okay with doing that because it would give them some salary cap um, space. Uh, but again, since Duncan Keith has a no trade clause in his contract, the Blackhawks can't really just move him to wherever they feel like moving him to. They'd have to make a move and they'd have to listen to Duncan Keith. And if Duncan Keith is okay with coming to New Jersey, then that's great. And I would be, I would be down for it. We're not getting the same player that we got that you would get four or five years ago, but he could very well help us in different ways, just from a veteran perspective. So that's one guy I would mention. Now, the other guy that I mentioned here, and again, I only have two players because the Blackhawks don't have a lot of guys that have term and or like, because again, they're going to have to make a lot of moves to just keep some of the guys that they have. Uh, But this is a guy that I think, again, is another very unlikely player to be moved because considering what he just did this year and considering the goaltending situation with the Blackhawks, it would be kind of ridiculous for them to move him, but I'll just throw him out here. And that is goalie Kevin Lankin. Six foot two, 185 pounds. He's 26 years of age. Last year was his rookie year in the National Hockey League. He signed a two-year contract um, back in, I believe just before last year, he signed a two-year deal with the Blackhawks. He was an undrafted free agent uh, that was signed by the Blackhawks. This past year, his rookie year, he played in 37 games, posting a 17-14-5 record with a 3.01 goals against average and 8.909 save percentage. For a while there, Kevin Lankinen, was the biggest surprise in the NHL other than Kirill Kaprizov. He was playing very, very well, and he was up there. He's one of the top three guys to you know, compete for the Calder Trophy. And obviously, he fell off in the second half of the season, but the Blackhawks did basically as well. But he's still a very solid goaltender, very young. And look, he signed a two-year, $1.6 million contract with the Blackhawks, all that's guaranteed. He's getting an average, an annual average salary of $800,000. And this upcoming year, he'll have a base salary of $850,000 while carrying a cap hit of $800,000. So 
This wouldn't be a cap move. This would be a move where the Devils would want to try to get a relatively young goaltender to pair with Mackenzie Blackwood. And again, you would only be having him for at least a year, and then you could kind of go from there. Um, and again, I will point this out. The chances of the Blackhawks moving him after the season he just put up and knowing that they have uh, Diala and also Malcolm Subban, I think that they would prefer to keep Lankin in. But if they just somehow decide that they feel like moving him, I think the Devils should certainly uh, pick up the phone and see what Chicago is looking for. Uh, he doesn't have a no movement clause, so you could just trade him. Uh, that would be the end of that. My mock trade for this would be the Devils receive Kevin Lankinen in exchange for a 2022 second round pick and a 2022 third round pick. Now, for Blackhawks fans, they might think that that's not necessarily a great trade, but I think when you look at it, you have to wonder to yourself, was this just a one-year thing, or is this something that you can build on? And again, he's 26. So, I mean, you know, is, you know, how much better is he going to get? And the Devils certainly need help in the goaltending situation. And this is an opportunity to get a relatively young goaltender if you want to do a 1A, 1B situation for the upcoming 2021-22 season. So that's just an option there. Again, with both of these guys, Duncan Keith and Kevin Lankin in, I think it's very unlikely that either one of them is going to end up as a devil. I think it's unlikely that Lankin is going to get moved. And if Duncan Keith's going to get moved, he's probably going to go up north or to Seattle or something like that. So that's so again, there wasn't much to go off of, but these are the two guys that I think had, if you want to say, the most likely possibility of being moved. So those are the two guys from the Chicago Blackhawks. Now we go to the Avalanche. And again, very difficult to find guys because you also have to remember this the avalanche have 25 million dollars in cap space pretty good amount i think most likely they're going to be able to keep gabriel Landeskog and also philip grubauer but it's going to be tough they have to take team friendly deals otherwise it's not going to be possible um but if let's say by some chance that the avalanche are able to get both grubauer and Landeskog for the max money that they're looking for in term most likely the avalanche are going to have to make a move or two and there's one guy who just signed a contract the year before with Colorado after being traded to them. Or actually, no, he, he ended up just signing with them. Is a defenseman. And that is defenseman Devon Tays, the former New York Islander. He's six foot one, 191 pounds, 27 years of age. In 2021, he played in 53 games, scoring nine goals, 22 assists for 31 points. Very good. In his career, he has 169 games played. 20 goals, 57 assists, 77 points. And he's played the playoffs with, I think, both the Islanders and the Colorado Avalanche. And he's played in 40 games with four goals, 17 assists, 20, 21 points. And honestly, Devontae is a very, very underrated, very talented left-shooting defenseman. And he really took his game to another level this past year with Colorado. Colorado really benefited for him, you know, with him, particularly on the power play. The Islanders really, really missed him. You could tell he would have made a big difference if he was still on the Islanders, considering how, you know, everything that went on. I think they would have really been, I think they would have really loved to have had him. You can ask any Islander fans, they would agree. But you look at this and you say, again, if both Landeskog and Grubauer get the big money deals that they're looking for, the Avalanche may have no choice but to move somebody like Devontae, who they literally just got the year before. And the Devils could get him, and he's not making a huge amount of money. He signed a four-year, $16.4 million contract, which I believe ends at the end of the 2023-24 or 2024-25 season. It's one of those two. Um, 
He's earning an annual average salary of $4.1 million. He carries a base salary of $3.5 million going 2021-22 while carrying a cap hit of just under, just over $4 million. It's honestly not that bad of a deal. And again, we have a lot of cap space. So even for the next couple of years, it wouldn't be that bad of a deal. And Devontae's right now is entering the prime of his career. Does he fit the, I guess you'd say, timetable of where the Devils are going? He may be just out of it, but he would be a more experienced, talented offensive defenseman. He certainly can help us defensively. He's done that before. So he would certainly be an upgrade on the left side of the defense. The problem is, is that just like with Duncan Keith and everybody else, we're kind of set more or less on the left side of the defense. We're looking more to the right side. That's why guys like Rasmus Bristolainen and Dougie Hamilton are more rumored with the Devils. But again, if you're looking to just upgrade your defense in general, this makes a lot of sense. So again, this all goes off of if possibly that the abs just focus more or less on getting Landeskog and Grubauer signed and they get them to big money deals, the abs are going to have to move somebody. And the Devils may call and say, um, we're, we're very interested in Devontae's. What are you looking for? And I don't know exactly what the Devils would have to give up, but this is my mock trade. The Devils received Devontae in exchange for a 2021 first-round pick, the one from the Islanders, a 2022 second, and a 2022 fourth. The reason that I gave him the first-round pick is because Devontae is a very valuable defenseman right now. He's one of the, he's a very, very talented one. And he's, I think in my opinion, he's worth that. And he's worth a little bit more than that. And also you have to be fair to the team that you're trading for, unless they're in a situation where they're in such cap trouble that you could just fleece them. The abs are not that team. They are certainly not. They can, you know, I think that they could survive it. So you have to give them something like that. And again, it's a late first round pick. I think Colorado, I think they have their first round pick at the moment. I don't remember the top of my head, uh, but if they don't, you're at least giving them a first-round pick that they don't have, and it would kind of work out that way, and you're getting a defenseman that would certainly help upgrade your defense in general. So it's something to keep in mind. And again, if you're trying to get to the cap floor, which we desperately need to do, if you keep P.K. Subban, you just add on another $4 million, which could help you get to the cap floor and also get you some talent on the defense. So yeah, really, Devontae's is the only guy in the abs I could think of. Jonas Donskoy, possibly, but, you know, it's... It's just, I, I can't see them moving that. They don't have a whole lot to move because they have to sign and re-sign a bunch of guys. So they're going to be very busy this offseason. So it's going to be difficult. But those are the potential trade targets from both the Chicago Blackhawks and the Colorado Avalanche. What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts, so that could be Spotify, that could be iTunes, that could be Google Podcasts, you know, wh wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devils State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts. So just like with Devil State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network, and you can see all the podcasts that we have on this great network. You can follow the Devil State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil State, 
And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey, P-O-D, Pod, N-E-T, Net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Agony and the Ecstasy, Nah, no ecstasy of being a Jets fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know anything you could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know some one of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book, that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books, are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Pain and Suffering of Being a New York Jets Fan, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. So once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are, you know, every single day. You know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!